we are in chapter 22, and it looks like we're just going to work our way through it. And as you know, we've just been going verse by verse by verse. And uh, so tonight, we're in chapter 22, and we left off in verse 18 last week. So we pick up our study in verse number 19. Verse 19. He says, that thy trust may be in the Lord, I have made known to thee this day, even to thee. You know, you look at that very first phrase there, that thy trust may be in the Lord. And uh, as you know, Solomon was the author of this, and you think about someone in a position of authority, and when an earthly master issues a, a command to his servants, so I, therefore his benefit. Uh, if God gives a command, therefore our benefit. In other words, therefore our good. So when God is saying to us, you know, thou shalt not do this, he, he is simply saying, don't hurt yourself. Don't do that. Why? Well, because it's ultimately going to uh, hurt you in some way. But, but notice there is a goal in the message that he is sending. And, you know, he could, you could say, well, he's speaking here to his servants, his subjects in the kingdom, or to his children, or whoever it is. And it really doesn't make any difference because the point is the same. The message that he is delivering, notice, is for the purpose that their trust might be in the Lord. And... Uh, Wow, I mean, I don't know of anything of any greater benefit than that. No doubt you, as a Christian, you've said and you've heard others say, you know, I just don't know how people make it without the Lord. You know, it might be someone that's going through an illness. It might be someone at the graveside, and there's been some tragedy come into their life, and you just think to yourself, you know, how, how how can they go through this and how can they face eternity and what have you, not knowing the Lord? And uh, mark it down, if a person is lacking in the knowledge of God's Word, they're going to be lacking in faith. And, and I say that because Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. So that's where our faith comes from. And so whenever you meet someone that has no real knowledge of the Word of God, regardless of how much they brag about maybe having a lot of faith and so forth, they really don't. Because our faith is built upon our knowledge of God's Word. The problem is, with some people, they have faith in faith. Norman Vincent Peale wrote the famous book years ago, The Power of Positive Thinking, you know, and basically the whole idea is that if you've got enough faith, you can just, you know, you can do anything, you can become whatever you want to, to become, and you need to think positive and good things are going to happen, and well, you know, I don't know, Job was the best man in all of the land, and and he had the worst problems, and so I'm not sure this positive thinking stuff always works. And so, listen, the object of our faith is what makes all of the difference in the world. Our faith needs to be in the Lord. 
not just in faith, you know, not just in having a positive attitude. And so that's what he's saying here, that thy trust, this is the purpose he's saying, uh, that I've made known to thee this day, even to thee. I, I've, I've imparted this knowledge to you that it might build your faith in the Lord. And certainly those of us that are parents, that's what we want for our children, don't we? That's why it's so very important that from the time that they're, little people you know that we want to impart the word of god and i'm so glad right now even as this bible study class is going on that we have our teens over there in one section we have our awana clubs meeting and all of those little kids over there right now and they are being taught the Word of God. And we've got kids that are five, six years old that can stand up and just repeat one verse after another verse after another verse. And, and, and listen, that pays off somewhere along the line. Planting the seed of God's Word in their heart is going to reap benefits because it's eventually they'll come to know the Lord as their Savior and their knowledge of the Word will build faith. And, I, and I'm here to tell you they're going to need it in this world that we live in. They need all of the faith in God they can get. So we ought to think about that. Every time that we study the Bible, we ought to, you know, go away hoping that our faith has been increased and inspired. Now, verse number 20, Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge now this speaks about the weight and the worth of what he has said the weight and the worth when the, that word excellent is you know it's it's something that you might describe something that is of great value and you think of gold and something that you know is is weighty and and that's the idea that i i've not just entertained you you know i've not just you know told you a bunch of jokes or uh, you know, I, I've not just uh, imparted historical information to you, but rather I have spoken to you excellent things. Well, the most excellent things in all of the world, this black book I hold in my hand, the Word of God. It, it, it's, it's nothing but excellent things, you see. And it's like Job said, I have esteemed, and here you go again, esteemed, speaking about weight and value and worth. I have esteemed the words of thy mouth even more than my necessary food. And so here he, he is speaking in regards to the value of God's word. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get everyone to see the great value of the Bible? You know, it, listen, it, it's... We live in a day and an age naturally where uh, I was writing an article the other day, and I, I don't want to get sidetracked and go into detail about it, but it, it had to do with the fact that, you know, some people, some preachers, some churches will do almost anything to attract people and impress people and so forth. And it, and sometimes out of desperation, maybe the attendance is dwindling or whatever, or, or it might be the preacher just wants to become popular, you know, and one of these big-time preachers. And it's real easy, though, for a preacher to develop bad habits to where you use the pulpit to tell a bunch of Mark Lowry jokes. And I'm not against Mark Lowry, don't get me wrong, 
But I don't think any preacher ought to get up there and preach Mark Lowry jokes for 30 minutes or something. I'm not against humor. We need some more humor in our Baptist churches. I'm all for that. But listen, there's absolutely nothing that takes the place of the Word of God. And that's why we go through here word by word and verse by verse. That's why in Sunday school, all of the curriculum that we use for Sunday school is material that I've worked on, and we go through it verse by verse. I remember years ago when I first got saved, and it was so frustrating to me uh, because the church that I was saved in, they... uh, uh, they, uh, uh, well, they would have said they didn't use Sunday school material, but they, they did, you know. Uh, basically, they run it off on a mimograph after they'd copied it off out of a bookstore or whatever. But the point was, maybe you're studying the book of Exodus and you might have 10 chapters in one lesson. And, you know, and I'll never forget going to the pastor and I told him, I said, you know, I don't understand this. I, you know, I, I'm a new Christian. I want to learn everything I can. And I get in Sunday school and we skip all of this stuff. Why do we do that? Well, I don't remember his explanation, but I can tell you I still don't agree with it as much as I love the guy. That, that, listen, the, there's nothing in the world of greater value than the Word of God, and we need to stop getting in a hurry when we go through God's Word and take our time and let God speak to us. Notice I've written under the excellent things in counsels and knowledge. Uh, aren't you glad that you have something reliable that you can depend upon for godly counsel, something that will impart knowledge that, uh, that whether, it, whether it's for inspiration in your life to get you through a tough time or whether it's teaching you how to deal with difficulties in life. And the Bible does all of that and a whole lot more. So now as we move on to this next verse, we're going to see another reason Another reason why we need to hear and heed those words. Notice what it says, verse 21. That I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. You know, many uh, know the words of truth in, in that they're able to recognize them and even to repeat them, but they don't know the certainty of them. And, and by that, I mean there are those that maybe they've committed to memory certain parts of the Bible, but they really don't understand, you know, what it really means. You, you can teach a parrot to recite verses of the Bible But that parrot sure couldn't give you very good advice on applying the principles of God's Word to the problems of your life. And so notice he says, I want you to know the certainty of the words of truth. And and, and notice he's going to go on now. And and, and the whole idea here is when he says certainty, he's simply implying by that, I want you to be able to distinguish between what is true and what is false, what is right, and what is wrong. We need a spirit of discernment because, as I've often said, you could get out here on a soapbox on any street corner in America, and if you stand up there long enough and yell long enough, you can say absolutely anything you want, and and if you keep at it, eventually you'll get a following. 
It doesn't make any difference what it is. Uh, there'll be somebody taking interest in what you're saying. I mean, if you really believe it and you really get into it and they see your passion for it, whether it's true, whether it's not, some, somebody will follow you. And, and the reason for that is most people don't have any spirit of discernment. And the reason they don't have a spirit of discernment about them is that they lack a knowledge of God's Word. That's why the Lord said to Israel, he said, my people, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And we're not talking about just knowledge in general. We're not talking about how many miles it is to the moon or to the sun or the speed of sound or anything like that. We're talking about a knowledge of things related to life. We're talking about the Word of God. And notice he uses, the, he uses this phrase, the words of truth. Well, why is this? so important well in the first place it's important because of its profitability to to us you know we need that but notice what he says there's something else here he says that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that sinned unto thee you know we we live in a world where people have a lot of questions uh, I don't need to tell you, life is filled with mysteries. Life is a mystery. And, and he said, I want you to know the certainty of the words of truth so that you will know how to answer appropriately those that would send to you, for you. In other words, those that would inquire. Do you remember what Peter said? He said, we are to you know, be knowledgeable of the Word of God that we might know how to answer them that ask for a reason of the hope that is within us. Wouldn't it be horrible for you to go to work or our young people to go off to school? Or it might be that you're having a cup of coffee with one of your neighbors. And all of a sudden, they've been watching you, and, and they begin to inquire. I notice that you folks, uh, most you folks are gone every Sunday. I, I'm assuming you all go to church somewhere. Yeah, yeah, we go to church. We're members down at Lakeway Baptist Church. Yeah, we go every Sunday. We, ne we never miss service. And, uh, and the conversation continues on to the point, and all of a sudden, they begin to inquire. Well, you know, I've never... I never really understood all about this religious stuff and heaven and hell. I'm I'm not so sure that that there could really be a literal hell and you know, so they begin to inquire and ask questions and, and I'm simply saying it'd be horrible if we didn't have the answers, the right answers. And the Bible gives us the answers to the most important and the most difficult questions of life. The answers are all found here in the Word of God. And that's the point. He said, I want you to know the certainty, have some discernment about it, of the words of truth, that you might know how to answer those that, uh, that send unto thee. Now, in the next two verses, uh, there's a change of direction. And we're going to pick up where we actually left off back in verse number 16 because all of a sudden the Lord changes our direction of thought here. And our focus now is back on our attitude toward those that are poor. Verse 22, he says, 
rob not the poor because he is poor, neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. Now, this might be a good time to remind you of what he just said about excellent things uh, because, uh, the, you know, the mistreatment of poor people is not a minor matter as some people think. It is a serious subject in the eyes of God. But naturally, there are those that think, well, it's, you know, not really that big of a deal. At least I didn't rob a bank. I, this afternoon, I sat down and I started writing a, an article that was actually, I guess you could say, inspired by a comment someone made. And I don't want to go into detail because some of you no doubt saw it. And it was horrible and terrible a comment that a professing Christian made in trying to justify his or her sin by pointing out the failures of, 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 of Christian people and naming one of their sins that they don't put a lot of emphasis upon. You know, it's a sin, but, you know, let's face it, there are some of those sins that most of us ignore and uh, and so this person was really wanting to point that out. And the whole purpose behind it was in an effort to justify, uh, to justify the sin that was in their life. Now, w whenever God condemns something, it doesn't make any difference what value you might attach to it. It's what God thinks about it. And so there might be some particular sin, you know, that maybe that's uh, that's on the that's on the list of the minors, uh, you know, uh, for some people. And uh, with with other people, you know, there are these major sins. Well, this is God serious about this, and I want you to notice the exact wording of this statement here, because notice he's talking about robbing the poor. But notice this phrase: it says, "Because he is poor." Robbing the poor, why? Because they're poor. That, in other words, that's taking advantage of people that cannot help themselves. People that cannot protect themselves. People that cannot defend themselves because those people that were poor, they had neither the funds nor the friends in order to bring the oppressor to, to justice. And um, that still happens today. Yeah, I'm so thankful for America and the system that we have here. But but let's not kid ourselves. It is so far from perfect that it's pathetic. You know, it might be better than anything else on earth, but it's horrible. Because as we all know that if, uh, you know, if you are someone that that has a lot of money, can get the best lawyers and you know all of the right people, you can get by with almost anything, whereas if it's just, you know, Joe Smo out here on the street, doesn't know, have any friends in high places, doesn't have any money, he's going to have to take a public defender, and boy, I'm telling you what, he can get railroaded right quick and even end up being incarcerated maybe for something he didn't do. And, but look, this is not a new problem. This is something that has been going on since the time of Solomon. Those that would mistreat the poor because they're the poor. In other words, you're going to mistreat them because, because they can. They can get by with it, and so they do it. 
But then he mentions someone else here, some other people. He mentions those that are oppressed in the gate. Now, remember, in those days, you know, today we uh, we, we go into a, a town and a, a, every little town has its courthouse, you know, and uh, every, every county has a courthouse uh, in some little town. And that's where business is transacted. But in those days, it was in the gate of the city. The walls, you know, would be quite a distance maybe between the inner wall and the outer wall. And there in that gate area, that's where the elders met. That's where the leaders discussed the issues pertaining to the city. That's where the judges sat and issues were decided. And so he's talking about, he's talking about them not finding justice as we'd say today, in the courtroom, in the gate, in the courtroom, injustice among those that ought to be meeting out justice. Well, boy, it'd be easy to really get political here, wouldn't it? When we think about our corrupt system today, or let me, let me change that. When we think about a lot of the corrupt people that are involved in our system it, 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 it's ab- absolutely horrible. And, and it's something that God is watching. Now, I, I want you to notice as we go on, and th- this same thought's going to continue now, having to do with the poor. Verse number 23, notice that word for, the first word, because that relates back to what he just got through saying. You better not, you know, mistreat, the, rob the poor, oppress those that are in the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoil them. You know, others might not hear their case. Others might not defend their rights. But God will. And God does. And, and, and not only that, God is not just going to hear their case. Eventually, He's going to execute justice. And whenever we rob, when we rob from the poor, what, what happens? God takes from us. That's the whole point there. He said he will spoil. That's talking about, you know, you think about the spoils of war, that which was taken in war. And the point is that whenever we rob the poor and we oppress uh, the poor, it says God's going to plead their cause and God's going to spoil the soul of those that spoil them. You, you've often heard me say we're always best to ourselves when we're good to others. And I believe that with all of my heart. The best thing you can do for yourself is to be good, do something good for someone else. Uh, but about the worst thing we can do is mistreat God's children. You know, I, I keep thinking about that, that verse of Scripture that says, touch not uh, mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. And we, you know, we, we, we all, people always apply that to the preacher. You better leave the preacher alone or God will get you. Well, uh, you know, I, I believe that's true, but I think that's true of any of God's children. God doesn't love me any more than he loves any of you folks. And I, it's just a dangerous thing. It's, you know, you, you, you see Bev and, and she comes in and, and, and she's more talkative now in church than she's ever been all of her life. Believe me, for years she didn't, she wouldn't say a word hardly other than being friendly to people and things like that. Uh, and, and so, uh, 
I guess what I'm trying to say, she might look like a kitten, but believe me, there's a tiger in there, and it comes out when you mess with her kids, and, and, and it really does. I'll never forget years ago, we lived in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, and there was an incident. Boy, I saw her take off across the street, and I knew what was going to happen. There was a problem over there with one of the kids and one of the neighbor women there, and and I mean, she she went over to do business, and it, I mean, now listen. My whole point in bringing all of that up is to tell you. Don't you think for a second that you're going to mistreat God's people and get by with it? But it's not even just God's people. You know, we are, the, the Bible says that we are to, you know, to do good to all men, and especially those of the household of faith. And so we have a responsibility to everyone. Why? Well, for one thing, God cares about everybody. Remember, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The Bible says, you know, God is good to the just and the unjust. He causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the wicked and on the righteous. Whether we're thankful or we're unthankful, God is good to all. And the reason God is good to all is why? Because God is love. And whenever we mistreat someone, we are abusing someone that God loves and notice we end up losing something as a result of it. Now, I need to hurry. Verse 24, I'm going to try to get through with this chapter tonight. Verse 24, make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Well, here is a caution concerning companions. Now, certainly we ought to be civil to everyone, regardless of who they are. We ought to be respectful of people. Whether we agree with them or not, whether they're nice or not, we ought to be respectful of other people and so forth. But we must not become close friends with everybody. That's a dangerous thing. Make no friendship with an angry man. And he speaks about the person that is furious and basically the same meaning, same idea here is. Now, as you know, when people get angry, a lot of times it leads to violence. You know, if it doesn't lead to violence, it can lead to a lot of other things that are problematic for us. And and, and for that reason, he's saying that we need to not make friendship with people like that. The, the point is, those kind of people, if they turn on somebody else, notice he didn't say if their anger is directed toward you. doesn't make any difference. If they're, and, and there are people like that. They just, it, it's, their, it, it's in their disposition. They're, they're, they're angry. They're mad at the world. They don't get along with anyone. And, and don't you dare let yourself form a close friendship with somebody like that, because if they mistreat others, mark it down, they'll mistreat you when it's to their advantage. And you're going to end up getting hurt as a result of it. And with the furious man, thou shall not go. Every parent needs to be concerned about their children's companions. And, and, uh, and certainly if we care about our kids, you know, we're not going to just let them go out and just, you know, run with anybody because 
ultimately it's going to get them in trouble. I look back and, and I don't have anybody to blame but myself for the wicked life that I lived. I, I can remember the first time I ever tasted beer and I spit it out. I thought that was the worst stuff. I, I, I couldn't understand how anybody could drink that stuff. Uh, Grandpa was dying in Little Rock, Arkansas, in the VA hospital down there. He was an alcoholic. They'd kept him locked up down there nearly all of his life after the war because of his alcoholism and and so forth. And I, I, I couldn't imagine how anybody could ever get addicted to alcohol. Uh, and and then, one, then one day, a neighbor kid who was my age had an older brother that had just got his driver license. Now, I don't know. I must have been 13 at the time, maybe 14, something like that. And he had a 41 Chevy. And uh, he, he said, come on and go with us. Well, I didn't have any idea what they were going to do. And uh, but anyway, it resulted in uh, they somewhere in back back in those days, you, you couldn't you know you wasn't old enough you couldn't go in the liquor store and and buy beer or anything. But we had a place called Hobo Holler. That's where all of the hobos hung out down. It's down by the railroad tracks uh, there in Springfield. And you go down there, and if you would buy them a bottle of old cheap wine, give them money for that, they'd go in there and buy anything you wanted. So that's what all the kids did. And they'd go in there and get whatever they wanted. And so I'll, I'll never forget, that's where it started. Now, look, I've got to take responsibility for my own actions, but I'd be a fool to stand up here and to tell you that I was not influenced by the guys that I started running around with because I wanted to be accepted. You see, look, human nature never changes. Kids are kids. They're the same today as they were back then or however far back you want to go in that we talk about peer pressure. There's always been peer pressure. People want to be accepted. They want to be admired, you know, and so forth. And so they want to fit in. Everybody accept them. Well, to do that and you're running with a certain crowd, you start doing what they do. And after a while, you become like they are. And sometimes, in my case, you become a whole lot worse than they were. That's why it's so very important that we do what we can to instill in the hearts of our children that you just cannot run with a certain crowd. Treat people nice, but you just can't make them your best friend. Now, verse 25, boy, I've already basically preached this. I just need to read it and go on. Verse 25, notice, "...lest thou learn his ways." And get a snare to thy soul. Now, I wish I hadn't said all of the things I just said because that's it right there. Don't hang with the wrong crowd. Why? You'll learn their ways and get a snare. You know, the snare can be a number of different things. With me, it was alcohol. With somebody else, it, 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 it could be whatever. You know, and it doesn't make any difference what the particular snare is. I mean, you're trapped, you're enslaved, regardless of what it is. A snare to thy soul. Had I known what was going to happen to me later, I would have never started down that, that road. I would have never, I would have never done the things that I did if I knew where it was going to lead. 
lest thou learn his ways. Remember what Paul said to the church in, in, in Corinthians. He talked about uh, be not deceived, evil communications. And that word communications there has to do with company, not with conversation. But he, he's talking about that it corrupts good manners. There is a corrupting influence whenever you run with the wrong crowd. It's kind of like the rotten apple in the barrel. And after a while, you know, isn't it amazing? All of those ripe, nice apples, they never convert the rotten apple. It's the rotten apple that affects all of the good apples. Verse 26, Be not thou one of them that strike hands, or of them that are sureties for debts. Here again, this is one of those things that's so amazing because we've already talked about this so many times and God's bringing it up again. You know why? Because God knew that we that this is one of those areas that we would keep making mistakes in and it has to do with suretyship, being sure to, we'd call today co-signing for somebody or whatever. And... Uh, it got people in trouble back then. It still does today. Now, don't misunderstand that. We need to pity those that are in debt. We need to help those that are in need. But there has to be certain limitations. And we see that, notice the next verse. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? Now, you just got through talking about guaranteeing uh, payment for somebody else, being a surety, you know. Oh, yeah, go ahead and loan him the money. I'll stand good for that. Okay, what do you do if, you know, what do you do if the guy doesn't pay the bill? Well, you got to stand good for it. Oh, but wait a minute. In the interim, something has happened, and while you had the money, you know, to insure the, the loan before, now you're broke. What do you do now? And not only that, but if you're a family man, all of a sudden, not only are you affected by a loss that you incur, but now your whole family is deprived of something because you become a surety for somebody else that maybe, just maybe, never even really intended to pay their debt to start with. Had that happened to me? I was supposed to be my best friend. Had out these hot checks and said, "Boy, I'm in trouble." He said, "They're going to get me, and I've got to. I got to do something. They won't loan me any money down at the bank unless I can get a co-signer. And will you help me?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll co-sign." Well, you know what happened? <laughs> my best friend decided that he didn't want to pay it, so you, it falls back on me. You see. And so we, we, we've got to take into consideration the fact that our main responsibility is our family. And, and uh, some of us here have talked about this very thing. You know, most of the time it's better whenever you have somebody that's in need, the genuine need and so forth. It's better just, if you can, just to just give them the money than it is. And I love what Brother Rick said one time about this, and he was talking about, you know, if you're going to loan somebody, don't ever loan them any more money than what you could, you know, that you could lose without complaining about. In other words, if you never get it back, you can just write it off and go on like, oh, well, no big deal. That's that's good advice, you know. Uh, so we've got to use some wisdom even in helping people. Remove not 
the ancient landmarks thy fathers have set. Now, this is speaking about an object. It might be a pile of stones. It might be a might be a pole that's driven in the ground. And having been a surveyor, I can really identify with this because I have spent a lot of time out there looking for corner markers, you know. And uh, well, we'd uh, we'd dig down and search and look and look and look until we can finally finally found you know the corner pin, and then we could go from that and find the other one and so forth. Well, these are boundaries. They marked off parcels of property. And so, uh, and, and by the way, it was a very, it was a very serious infraction back in the Old Testament for somebody to move those landmarks. And believe me, people still do that today. They move the landmarks. I mean, it's pretty common, especially in rural areas, for an old farmer to decide he wants an extra ten feet, and so, you know, he just puts the fence posts over there and just kind of moves the fence over. Well, you know, after a while, nobody thinks much about it. And after a while, that property basically becomes his property. Now, whenever we think about this and we're talking about landmarks and we're talking about in terms of another person's property, but but we, we need to think about this in regards to everything. In other words, those limits and those boundaries and we could apply this to the truths of Christianity. We better be careful about trying to move some of the landmarks of the truths of God's Word. You know, just like how oh, that, that's, that's not all that important anymore, and we begin to compromise on what the Bible says because we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Now, there's only one more verse left in this chapter, and we're going to wrap it up with this. And Lord willing, we'll start in chapter 23 next week. And this is really self-explanatory. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? As a question mark. Do you see somebody that's diligent in their business? You know, you look around and you think about different business owners and managers and so forth. Notice. He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. And that, that word mean implying, you know, the average or lower class people. But he, he's going to be promoted. That's the idea here. He's going to stand before kings. But notice, notice the, the main factor there, a man diligent in his business. If I understand that word, and I'm sure, and I'm not perfectly sure I do, but if I remember from my word studies, that word diligent means not only doing your best, you know, but it means doing all you can and while you can, the best you can, being diligent, not half-hearted. And, and the, I think that's maybe God's way of just telling us, look, hard work pays off. You don't need to steal from the poor. You don't need to oppress the poor, make life more difficult on them. Hard work, being diligent, will pay off. That's the way to get promoted. It makes me angry to see the attitude of some younger people today. We got a lot of great young people that not, you know, they're willing to work and what have you. But we've got a lot of young people in America today that they expect the government to just, or mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, they expect somebody to just, you know, constantly be giving them a handout. They don't want to work for it. They, they, they just expect it. 
Well, the best way to get ahead in life is to get out here and go to work. And, uh, and in the long run, that always, that always pays. Well, I hope we've said something tonight or during the course of this study that will be helpful to somebody. And as I've said before, if anybody is ever here and there is some way Brother Kenneth or I can be of any spiritual aid, and certainly if somebody is here that has never received Christ as their Savior, please don't hesitate to come to us and let us know because we'd like nothing more than to be able to take the Word of God and uh, do what we can to be of help. Any last final word, announcement, or anything that we forgot about, maybe? Okay.